Are you someone who doesn't take life too seriously? Do you sometimes find that a shot of whiskey isn't only deserved, but needed? If you said yes to either of those, welcome to the Whiskey and Lace podcast, where we have honest chats with everyday people, shit shows and all. I'm your host, Erica Altus, and I'm here to empower you to be the best version of yourself and perhaps share in a shot of whiskey. Now pour yourself a glass of wine and let's go. I just feel like we're the ladies from NPR Radio. Oh, totally. Even though I don't listen to NPR, do you? Well, I used to, but it's the <laughs> SNL skit with Alec Baldwin when they talk about sweaty balls. <laughs> Have you never seen that? No. Oh my God. I mean, I've heard you use the term sweaty balls yeah, like, okay. a lot. It's, a, so. it's an old SNL skit. All right. You're going to have to send it to me and send me a link of it so then I can share it because everybody's going to see it. Yeah. You might not ever be able to get through one of these again because I'm going to have a hard time now just hearing my voice on the playback and they talk really <laughs> close to it like this. Yeah, I do agree with that. Oh my God, I cannot <laughs> wait to see this. You have to send this to me. Uh, okay. Okay, everybody, I'm going to introduce my next <laughs> guest to the Whiskey and Lace podcast. This is my sister-in-law, Allison or Allie or at Wellness with Allie. Um, I have known you, gosh. I mean, well, if we really want to go down memory lane. Yeah. I've really known you since I was like in kindergarten. Yeah. Not I mean, you, I've known your, your fam- family. Yeah. Families for sure. Being in school together. Totally. But then, so then you, you were a great above my brother, Billy, who's my no, second. below. Oh, below. Above my, I was in between Billy and Mikey. Okay. Got it. Yeah. Okay. Okay. And then Mikey was below you. Mm-hmm. And I always knew you knew your family. And then one day I was sitting on our front porch and how old was I? It was the year 20. No, sorry. Was it? It was 2000. It was the year 2000. So I was a yeah. like freshman in high school. No, sophomore. Like we were, I think I, you were 16. Okay. And I was sitting on like my front porch. I don't know what I was doing, but <laughs> my brother walks up with Ali Zuer. And all I remember thinking was, wait, why is my brother like with this hippie? <laughs> <laughs> Ali oh. walks up with a maxi skirt on, which oh. by the way, are so trendy I right know. now. I, I love hung them. On to him. You should have. Um, but she, from what I remember, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I remember like you had hairy pits. Oh, and probably. I was like, what? And her hair was like down to her butt. <laughs> mm-hmm. And like, I, I don't even really know how you and Billy reconnected because we've always known you. But then fast forward. Yeah. Fast forward to um, a wedding, Matt Amerlin and Aaron Payne. Okay. So Aaron Payne was my best friend from high school. And then I've known the Amerlins forever and Billy and Matt knew each other. And that earlier that year, I found out that Billy was going to be in the wedding and I was in the wedding. And I hadn't seen Billy forever. So I'm like, oh, let me walk down the aisle with Bill Arnish. I haven't seen him forever. And then saw him at the rehearsal dinner. And I was like, damn. Oh. Billy got cute. (laughs) (laughs) And so, yeah, we just like flirted that night and then hung out at the wedding, had a blast. And then I was living in Oregon and he was living here. And so we just like literally wrote letters. This was like pre-email. Wow. I mean, really, I had like a school email address, but I don't think Billy had an email oh, address. Oh, yeah. Remember when we only had school email addresses? Yes. Like it was through my university. That was it. Like I had it like sou.edu. Yeah. You know? And so we literally wrote letters, like handwritten letters. Well, this is aging us, isn't oh, it? Oh, my God. It's aging me <laughs> for sure. So, yeah, we kind of felt... Do you still have them? Oh, yeah. Oh, that's I cool. I mean, totally embarrassing because I'm, I mean, probably a month or two into letters, I'm all, ooh... I think I could marry you. Oh, <laughs> something like that. It was like very, and he, I think, felt the same. I won't speak for him, but we know we knew pretty. You guys make such a wonderful pair. Aww. I mean, so my brother's a biologist. <laughs> we were just talking about this prior to the podcast, um, which is so cute in itself. And then Allie's very much into health and wellness, and they live in a small little town, kind of near Tahoe. For people who aren't, you know, from yeah. here, like in between Sacramento and Tahoe called Nevada City, which is like so perfect for you guys. I just, when I think of the two of you, I really do think of people who are very grounded, people who are very much conscious of the environment, yeah. of their bodies. And it's just like, you two are just wonderful. Yeah. And they have two beautiful children, Isaac and Isla, who are also just fantastic kids. And uh, yeah, so then you, so you haven't always been into health and wellness because wait, you were like a <laughs> geology major, right? Ge- uh, geography. Oh, geography. Yes. So what? <laughs> I don't really know. <laughs> What's what? the difference? Okay, so geology is like rocks, right? Oh, okay, 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 and then geography is. I'm gonna get lit up for this one. <laughs> 
geography. I mean, it happens all the time. People think I have a geology degree. Geography is literally the study of the world. What was your plan to do with that? So, Erica, there were mandatory camping trips. It was a super cool department full of like hippies and hippie teachers. Um, And I just kind of fell into it. I actually fell in love with a professor. um, Not literally. I mean, I really liked I mean, no, I didn't fall in love with him. I fell in love with his teaching and his content. And it was like a weather and climate class. And so he was in the geography department. So I jumped in. And yeah, we did like camping trips in the Mojave Desert, all over the place. And I didn't really have a plan post college. Most people don't. No, but and I mean, isn't there like a statistic that like like seventy? I mean, I don't get don't like quote me on these numbers, but like seventy percent of people or something very high don't even do anything that has to do with what they majored in. Oh, I'm sure that's probably accurate. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I I mean, I could have taught, I guess, but I didn't. I knew that's not really what I wanted to do, and I always did actually want to drop out and go to massage school. Okay. There was a massage school in Ashland, and I asked my parents if I could drop out and go, and they're like, no, finish your degree. Right. So I did. Okay. <laughs> and then Billy and I went and lived in a van in Australia for six months, which, which was is epic. So admirable. Um, it was so fun. And then when I got back, I worked in my field. I ended up doing like biological consulting, actually, kind of what Billy does now, and totally hated it. So I went to massage school. <laughs> oh, and then, and then you did massage therapy for quite a while. Like 20 years, yeah. 20 years? Yeah. Oh, dang. And then alongside of that, too, you were a doula, which is a whole episode that I would love to do with you because I think people will be fascinated to know that you are my doula and just all about that, you know, profession because it's really an awesome profession. It is. And I don't feel like a lot of women know much about it. And so we'll we'll save that for an episode, too. But um, So you did that and massage therapy. And then you... How did you, how did the wellness aspect come into play? Because now you have a lot of titles. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, it's kind of a rabbit hole. I mean, it's easy to fall into, but I mean, I've always been, even in my like party days in college, I mean, I, I did have an interest in health and always was into things like organic and natural. Well, at one point you were a vegan. I was for a very short time. I was vegetarian for a very long time, vegan for a short time. Oh yeah. I was the worst. I would like smoke cigarettes and lecture you about eating meat, how it was going <laughs> to give you cancer. <laughs> It was the worst. Oh, humility. Oh, God, I've learned so much. (laughs) But um, yeah, I'd always had the interest in it. And then, I mean, I won't go too deep into the story. I had a massage client who I worked with at the end of her life. And it was really just a profoundly like humbling experience. It was kind of like being a death doula, like so similar. We can talk about that on that episode. It's like totally beautiful, full circle situation. But she just had this whole concept of like no regrets. And I'd always wanted to go to um, nutrition school And so I got home like after she passed away and everything and told Billy, I'm like, I really need to do this. Like I need to go study nutrition. And it was like, okay, just do it. Yeah. So no regrets in mind. And I did it. And yeah, so that was um, really looking at health through like the endocrine system, which is the hormone system Mm -hmm. of the body. Specifically for women, right? Not that one. That first certification was just, um, I mean, it's a huge, it was, I would go to um, conferences with my teacher and other guest speakers would be there. And they were like, you're basically getting like a master's or like a PhD in biochemistry and nutrition. I mean, it was such in-depth education. I feel really lucky for that. Like I feel confident in my understanding of the endocrine system. And then I fell into like the blood sugar balancing piece. Right. Which appropriate for anybody. And, you know, just diabetes, type 2 diabetes is just, I think it's like the true pandemic of our times. I mean, it is. Yeah. So prevalent and really Especially detrimental. in our country. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Our country's really winning yeah. the prize on that one. Well, I always appreciated the way that you explained it to, to me when I was thinking about, you know, doing your reset, which we'll get into, but how, you know, we'd see all these like fad diets and, you know, like, oh, I don't know, keto and what, like beach body, yeah. like all these other things. And, and you explained it to me at one point when we were just having a conversation around health, you know, that nobody is you know, made the same. And so not one diet is going to fit everybody. And when you explained the blood sugar aspect of it, it really made total sense that different foods react differently in everybody's body. Yeah. And that was the thing. It's like everybody's, I mean, really it's totally personalized. I mean, and that's how nutrition should be. And I think it's very confusing out there, but you have to remember everybody's trying to sell something. It's true. You know, I mean, food is food is food. Mm-hmm. And if you're eating whole real food, it's really tough to go wrong. Right. And we can let go. There's so much dogma and these food. I mean, my teacher used to call them food religions because people do get like religious about their yeah. diet choices and it becomes their whole identity. And they're telling everybody about oh, it. Oh, yeah. And, yeah. I mean, it really becomes their identity. And I mean, there was a woman on social media. She was a 
huge following. She's amazing. And she was vegan forever. And she had a slew of health problems to the point where I would never slide into somebody's DMs and be like, uh, you need to eat some meat. But I wanted to. I had to hold back from doing that because <laughs> I'm like, um, you, this is veganism catching up with you. And sure enough, she started eating meat, felt amazing. But man, did she get ripped apart by the vegan community. Oh, I bet. Because she was like, on this bandwagon for so long. For and so then, long. well, let's talk about veganism. Why not? Yeah. You know, like <laughs> since we're having that topic of conversation, but like, I mean, cause I don't see it as like all the rage, but I also see it from time to time and what happens for most people or does it work for some people? Does it work? You know, does it not work? What is in your professional opinion? In my professional opinion, I think it can work. I think it's a very energy intensive, labor intensive way to eat in the sense that like to be healthy on a vegan diet takes so much effort. Like you're not going to get and it's all your like needs. And you're stressing met. so much about it that like that's not good for you either. Or you're Maybe not, not or you're not and you're just eating like totally highly processed fake foods and thinking that you're healthy for not eating meat. But so, so that's one, you know, and I'm totally generalizing here. Obviously everybody has their own reasons for choosing that lifestyle. But a lot of people, it's really for the animals. Like they really, really or it's environmental, which is maybe a little bit misguided. Um, there's a lot of really great science around having cattle grazing could actually restore plains and get grasslands back. That could actually be a really big benefit to the environment and climate change and everything else. Right. Um, that's a whole other story. But there's a lot of misinformation. But then talking to people who just love animals, I mean, what are you going to do? They don't. They don't want to eat animals. And I understand that. And so when, you know, compassionately, if I'm coaching somebody who I think could really benefit from eating meat, I just kind of like lump them in that compassionate circle. Like you have compassion for these animals, but your health is suffering. Like, don't you need some compassion too? You know, and you can make really conscientious choices. So, you know, yeah, because maybe you own. can like, I think that the way we can do it is not to like go out and just eat like a cheeseburger from McDonald's, yeah. but like maybe go to, you go to your local farm totally. and then you're not only supporting like your local farmer, but you know where the animal was raised and how it was raised and what it was eating. And, yeah. you know, it's just as interesting to me how you could be conscious about those things without having to completely give you it can. up. And, but it's so easy. I mean, when I was a vegetarian and, you know, you read all this information and data and books and you're like, oh God, we're not meant to eat meat. And then you start to become more of an omnivore or even there's hardcore carnivores out there and you read all that data and you're like, oh my God, we need to eat both. So it's like, really, you can find information each way. Right. And the science is always changing. That's why trust the science isn't necessarily the best. Yeah. The best approach. <laughs> the best approach, right? You know, follow. Billy actually pointed that out. He's like, the best way to phrase that would probably be follow the science. It's so true. Because it's always changing. It's always changing. I do remember, I don't know if you'll remember this story, but I remember when we were at random. We were in San Francisco with my family one year and we were at the Rainforest Cafe. Oh my God. I do, do remember, remember going. This? I don't know. Tell me more. <laughs> <laughs> and you ordered the minestrone soup. Uh-huh. And this was when I you were vegetarian. Oh, for sure. And, and you took a bite and it had meat. <laughs> oh my God. And you freaked out. I remember sitting across you spit it out and you're like what minestrone has has meat in it who puts meat in their in their minestrone i'm like oh shit <laughs> oh you were god just like, i was probably so you upset you were so mad like <laughs> this type of soup doesn't normally have beef in it so and i was just like oh rainforest cafe did her dirty <laughs> oh my god oh my god i had so many experiences like that like an order of vegetarian like a bean and cheese burrito and it would like have bacon in it i'm like what the hell and then <laughs> i remember like in college my freshman year in the dorms they it was like green beans like the only vegetarian thing would be like this nasty green bean thing and it would have like bacon bits on it my like girlfriends and i'd be like can you please like hold the green the bacon on the <laughs> So wait, how was your first true like, okay, I'm I'm gonna come back around to eating meat? Like, did it just taste delicious or was it hard to like get back into? Oh my god. It was um it was when I was pregnant. Oh, interesting. Yeah, with Isaac. Um, so 16 years ago. And I was really I had that kind of morning sickness where I didn't actually physically get ill. I just felt hungover and nauseous. Yeah. All I wanted to eat was bagels and cream cheese. Mm -hmm. That's like all that could get down. And I was so upset. Like I would open the fridge and just like cry. I'm like, I don't want another bagel with cream cheese, you know? And my midwife was like begging me. She's like, will you please eat some meat? Like at least try chicken. So I did. And I swear to God, I could like feel it down to my toes. It was like the most incredibly nourishing, <laughs> amazing <laughs> bite of my life. It was so good. And so that's when I introduced like chicken and fish. Okay. 
And then I ended up having a miscarriage between my kids. And at that time, my midwife and my acupuncturist who were really, you know, supporting me through that were like, you really need to eat some red meat. Like you really need to like replenish and build up your iron stores. And so Billy and I went to um, a house up in Shelter Cove that I think we've probably all been to. It was beautiful. And um, Billy made me a filet mignon. And he's like, okay, give it a go. And that was like heaven. I was like, what was I doing not eating this for so long? Oh my god! I remember my dad like called to check on me the next morning. He's like, how'd it go? (laughs) People were like a little concerned. I know. So anyways, yes. I mean, it was a, and I see that happen actually to circle back to all of that. I see that a lot. Women who are kind of diehard vegans and vegetarians get to their childbearing years, late twenties and their thirties. And they do go back to being more omnivore and eating meat. And really, I think there's just a true biological need to have that building block of life, which is protein. Right, right. But let's also talk about these things. I mean, I don't know if we're getting like the carp before the horse, but, you know, we see all these things right now called like, what are they called? Like beyond meat or whatever, like all these impossible burgers. Yeah, impossible burgers or yeah. What is your take on that kind of meat? Oh, I mean, horrifying. Highly processed. (laughs) I mean, it's highly processed. And we have to remember that is a massive industry. There is a very, um, there's a reason that that's all part of the climate conversation and like, you know, trying to get meat out of school lunches. There's all this push. This is a massive industry. And, you know, the basis of those foods are typically like corn, soy, and wheat. Which is a money-making machine. That's a money-making machine, and it's all tied up. So it's big ag, it's farm subsidies. I mean, I could go down a huge rabbit hole, and it's not like a conspiracy theory. It just is what it is. But those are highly processed foods. They are devoid of nutrients. I think they're pro-inflammatory. They often are, you know, cut with cheap oils. And so, you know, I remember thinking that when I was a vegetarian, one of like Morningstar Farms, some brand came out with like a burger, and it was like supposed to taste like a burger. Cause like back when I was a vegetarian, like a veggie burger didn't taste like a burger. No, it's it like, like a veggie burger. Yeah, it was like yeah. beans or like, you know, oat groats. I don't know. It was like, it looked like vegetables and grains. Mm-hmm. This like looked like a burger and was supposed to taste like a burger. And I remember taking one bite and being like so disgusted. And I was like, if I wanted a burger, I would just eat a burger. Totally. You know, so I kind of, I wish that that was the, the case. I wish that people would just be like, hey, if you really want the taste and the texture and the feel of meat, then maybe just eat Eat meat meat. if you're doing it for health reasons. But not everybody is eating that way, again, for health reasons. Right. But I don't know that they fully understand that that could actually be a detriment to their health. And you know it's a problem when you're seeing it like at Burger King. Oh, my God. And like McDonald's. I mean, if that's not like the biggest hello. Yeah. (laughs) This is not real food, right? It's like, obviously. Not that their meat is real either, right? Let's be honest. I mean, (laughs) just probably try to avoid that as much as possible. But yeah, so I just, I do find it problematic. Um, I worry about children being raised totally plant-based. You see a lot of like dental issues that do come up. You know, there's documentaries showing like athletes at this really high level of performance who are vegans. And I think that's very influential, especially of younger generations. What those documentaries tend to leave out, none of those athletes became, like reached that level of performance on a vegetarian diet or a vegan diet. They became vegan once they were at that level of performance. Interesting. And they are, it's their life. They're making protein smoothies like five times a day. Who's doing that, right? So anyways, there's just, it's just to be, just be careful, I guess would be my advice on that. Just be mindful. It's not necessarily healthy. And just because it's, you know, marketed Yeah. Or gluten-free or any of these marketing tactics. I mean, if it has- Right. I mean, and one of the biggest things that I've talked about recently in the last like six months, the whole- trend of oat milk got brought up. Oh, yeah. And everybody, and just, you know, all these oat milk lattes yeah. and, you know, we're, we're thinking that this is a much better alternative than milk. What is your take on oat milk? And do you think it's good or bad for you? Do you think, what, yeah, what is it, your take? I mean, it boggles the mind, I guess, from a curiosity standpoint, I would love to ask people who think that it's better than milk. Why? Why do you think that oat milk is better than real milk? Because it kind of boggles my mind. Again, it's a highly processed food. It's liquefied carbohydrates. And its second ingredient is typically canola oil. Canola oil. oil. So, and that's what makes it, I get it. Like I, I tried an oat milk latte because I was like, what is all the fuss about? Yeah. You put all that fat in there. It's going to froth up like milk because milk mm-hmm. is full of fat. Right. You know? So that, and that's what's sometimes missing from some of the other milks. That's why like nobody gets a rice milk latte. Right. There's no fat in that. It would taste terrible. It wouldn't like froth. Like a non-fat yeah. latte. So Ugh. it's like, they're adding that in there for that mouthfeel and everything. And it's, Again, if you like that in your latte, 
fine. You do you. But don't think that you're making a healthy choice, right? I just think that's where the nuance has to come in. It's not. It's surely not a healthier option. Than milk itself. <laughs> no. What unless is, you're lactose why intolerant. Dairy, why is dairy getting such a bad rap? I mean, I feel like we're constantly trying to substitute dairy for something else. That's specifically in coffee because coffee is clearly a huge craze. Yeah. And something that people do daily. And there are, I just feel like everybody's seeking an alternative to, I mean, when I personally, based on what I've learned through working with you, I go in and they're like, okay, what kind of milk do you want? I just say whole milk, you know, and I'd prefer it to be obviously like organic and the best whole milk that you can get, if not raw milk, but obviously that's not the option, but I just don't go for a substitute, you know? And so I just wonder where this, is it bad for you? Is dairy bad for you? That's totally unique to the person. I mean, I think it can be pro-inflammatory. I mean, me personally, like when I was a baby, my mom had me on soy formula. Like I, I have never been able to tolerate dairy. Mm-hmm. I mean, my son, whether he wants to ever admit it or not, he does not tolerate dairy well. <laughs> he didn't as a baby. He probably still doesn't. Um, it's kind of in my lineage. It's, you know, we, we all have these really complex genetic makeups. And from research that I've read, it's actually a genetic snip, right? So you kind of have like a like a little snip on your genes, which stands for a single nucleotide peptide. And it's like this other little piece of something that makes it so your genes can act a little bit differently. And what people don't understand, to be able to tolerate lactose after the age of about two is not normal. It's more normal. You grow out of needing that gene once we stop milking from our mothers, right? And so to be able to tolerate dairy is not the norm. Most people are likely lactose intolerant. But we power through with whatever symptoms those are, whether it's acne or gas or, you know, whatever it might be. Most people just power through. But in and of itself, dairy does have some nutrient value. I don't think kids need to be drinking it for calcium. That's surely not the the nutrient that people should be drinking milk for. Um, There's far better sources of calcium. But for like fat and I don't know, if people want to drink milk, drink milk, but be aware of how it's treating you. Yeah. Like if Are it's you, making you feel upset, like your yeah. stomach upset. Or, and don't think that you have to eat it to be part of a healthy diet. Right. Right. It's, and it ha- it's been getting a bad rap for a very long time. I do see a, a huge push right now for raw milk. I mean, I've been I seeing more and more. Not everybody has access to it. I know in like Canada, nobody can get raw right. milk. To me, we've always talked about like eating closest to the source. Yeah. And I, that's why I've kind of, you know, tried to turn towards more raw milk if I can find it, but it's incredibly expensive. Yeah. It's really cost prohibitive for most yeah. people. And, you know, I think that it, I understand the logic of raw milk. I understand how it would be more beneficial. I mean, I like, you know, if I'm reaching for cheese at the store for my kids, I'll try to find raw cheese. Like I get that from closest to the source. The actual research on, is it that much better for you? You know, I mean, I think it is, but there's probably research that goes both ways. And then there's another type of milk called A2, and it's like a different protein in the milk versus the A1 milk. Um, And so a lot of people that struggle with typical dairy do really well on A2 milk, and I'm seeing that more and more now in stores. Gotcha. So what I love about your approach when it comes to coaching, because Ali's a health coach, as well as, I mean, so many other things that you can do with for people, but you are realistic. You're gentle in your approach. You explain things really, really in a way that, I mean, for me, a person who like tends to overcomplicate everything in the world, you just make it simple and you, you don't judge people. And I think that's something that I love about the position you're in and why I think so many people love you as much as I love you and come to you because they trust you. So like, let's say I'm struggling because so many women specifically are just, you know, they're, they're having a hard time getting the weight off. They're having that, you know, when I approach you to coach me, what does that look like? What kind of programs do you offer? Like, how do you do what you do? Yeah. So I have like a signature program and it's my blood sugar balancing program, the reset. And essentially I wish I could say it's just the food. I always joke that if I could get somebody to like drop weight and sleep well and feel amazing just through food, I'd be a billionaire, you know, or somebody would have done it by now. Yeah, (laughs) That's one piece of a much larger puzzle. So the reset looks at obviously nutrition, like what to eat, when to eat, and then looks at things like sleep and movement and stress mitigation and really kind of layers that all into your life. So you can pull on different levers at different times. And then the metric that we use to see how it's working for you is we have you test your blood sugar. And what that does is it gives you real-time data, like how is food acting in your body? And then beyond that, what does a bad night's sleep do to your blood sugar? You know, most people don't realize how impactful one bad night's sleep can make you insulin resistant the next day, which means you're not going to tolerate carbs. You're going to be on a blood sugar roller coaster. Stress causes a blood sugar spike. So for people to understand that the nutrition 
is a piece of the puzzle. And in my opinion, and I think clients would back me up on this, it's probably the easiest of yeah. all the other lifestyle pieces, right? Yeah. People really just want to be told what and when to eat. And I do that. <laughs> yeah. She, so Allie does, I've done her reset. We did it last October. Yeah. It was this last just, October. Okay. Yeah. And Mark and I are actually talking about doing it again this October, oh, yeah. possibly. But you were so supportive on the food aspect. I mean, you would send an email with recipes, yeah. you know, brands that we should buy, all that stuff. So like, if that's something that it's intimidating to you, but you're really interested in in doing something like this with Allie, she's really supportive in that aspect, like giving you all the tools you need when it comes to food. And again, the food was it was the easiest part. Yeah. Learning for me personally, and I know everybody has different habits when it comes to food, but I was always just kind of a grazer. Like I would just kind of snack throughout the day. So my hardest part was sitting down for three meals and really eating enough to then keep me full until that next meal. And yeah. I kind of had to train myself. And I now that's, that's kind of the lifestyle that I've adopted and something that I've adopted from your program. And I feel much better, obviously. But I do know that a lot of people had a lot of questions around intermittent fasting yeah. because sometimes you do suggest that for people, right? Right. But what is, because that's another hot take or hot trend right now. Like what is your, what's your take on intermittent fasting specifically? Yeah. So it's wild that it's a trend. I mean, fasting has been a part of like every religious culture since the dawn of time. You know, mm -hmm. it's actually been around forever, time-restricted eating. You know, our ancestors did that just by nature of like, they couldn't really do much after dark. They didn't have electricity. So it's always been a part of our biology and it's just become trendy now, more so like in the weight loss, I think, community, um, which, yeah, it's a lever to pull on for sure. What we have to understand is that most, if not, an, I, mean, I don't want to say all, but like 90 plus percent of health research has been done on men. So any study you see of that- Of course it has. Well, it, women <laughs> literally, it was illegal for them to be involved and included in studies because we have menstrual cycles and we could have gotten pregnant. So whether what? we're talking about medication, health studies for nutrition, women, it was, it was like literally, almost unethical they saw it. Yeah. So we literally weren't allowed in the studies. And we're not just little like small men, right? No. Like we are completely different. Yeah. And so, you know, the research I think initially coming out was like, yes, intermittent fasting is super beneficial for everybody. And then women started doing it. And after maybe six to eight months, maybe their metabolisms would kind of tank, their energy would drop, their thyroid would get funky. It's it is an appropriate tool, but we have to have nuance with that, right? It's not just because like if some is good, more is better. I mean, you know, women have a cycle, four distinct phases of their menstrual cycle and fasting is really appropriate during certain times of that cycle. But if you push it too much, like let's say in the days before your bleed, you're going to be really tweaking with hormones that you don't want to be messing with. You know, so I think it's super beneficial for people who have serious metabolic conditions like type 2 diabetes, insulin resistance, prediabetes. Like, yes, use fasting as a tool. Like nothing will drop your blood sugar faster, help you produce some ketones. I mean, it's it's an awesome tool. But again, it's not necessarily for everybody. It's not and I know you suggested for me after doing the reset and just me talking to you because I call you about every problem I have. <laughs> That's okay. Like you did suggest like, Erica, before your period and during your period, like you should just eat three meals, yeah. you know, and I really tried to adopt that. And I do feel like my PMS is so much better. I don't have as heavy of a period afterwards. Yeah. I mean, TMI everybody, but like, this is honestly yeah. like just that little bit of advice, like, because I did take away to intermittent fast yeah. off the reset, but then I just started realizing, you know, like, is this right for me? Because I was really hungry. And, and so then I started kind of basing it off of my cycle, which you also told me about a tool that I use now all the time, which is the, um, my, what's it called? My flow, my flow app, the yeah. my flow app. And I really love it. If you are female watching, download that app. It's a free app. And I just, you know, it tells you, it suggests, you know, what kind of workouts you should maybe be doing that are in cycle with your cycle. Yeah. And I love that you approach women in such a way that we should be a little bit more gentle on ourselves, right? Like, especially when we're about to start our period. And I know you've explained that to me about our cycles and hormones and all this stuff. Like, can you go a little bit more into that? Yeah. So Alyssa Vitti is the woman who wrote the book In the Flow, and then that's her app. So she's one of, thank goodness, like the pioneers out there diving into the research, gathering information. And so these are just things we're not taught in school, right? That we have four distinct phases of our menstrual cycle, you know? And there are some brain scientists out there looking at this too. Um, one in particular, I think her handle on Instagram is BioCuriousKayla. And she says, we are literally four different people at any given point in our cycles. That's why men have such a hard oh time God, with us. Totally. And men, and we have to think too, our whole society, our work life, everything is built around a, 
a male circadian 24-hour rhythm. Everything. Mm -hmm. And men are. They're pretty much the same every 24 hours. Those lucky bastards. Right. But we get to have babies. That's true. You know, I would never trade it. Yeah. But the empowering, like knowing this information is so empowering to me and sharing this information with women, with young women, with women who are going through menopause, whatever it is, it kind of takes the pressure off. It's like, okay, quit trying to shove this like square peg through a round hole. Like it's not going to happen. We're not going to fit into this structure. And what if, what if we lived in alignment with our cycle? Like what would it look like as if like the day before a period, instead of going to like F45 or your CrossFit, you know, box doing whatever, pushing, 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 because you don't want to get off your program. If you're like, I'm going to bleed tomorrow and I'm so tired. I'm just going to take a nap. Not feeling like, oh my God, I'm off. I'm so lazy. What's wrong with me? Knowing that your hormones are tanking, you're about to bleed and trusting that in like five or six days, you're going to feel amazing again. Right. Because it's a cycle. And, and really paying attention to how you're feeling and yeah. what's the best tool to support your body in that right. moment. And I think that's the biggest piece for me. I mean, I think, again, this could become, and I'm seeing this and I'm trying to be very mindful of it, another dogmatic way of thinking, right? Like, oh, I can't work out today. I'm about to bleed. I actually, like the day before I get a period, I am like, I want to go on a run. Like I actually get this little hit of energy. So it's always body first. Like listen to your body first. But I think what having the knowledge of your cycle does is it gives you permission to listen. Yeah. Because maybe you've been hearing all along for years, like, God, I'm really tired, but I can't rest today. It's I got to go hit my workout. Yeah, we're like constantly trying to just keep it up because we're so worried about falling off. Right. And so to, to actually have permission to listen and trust your body and know that the cycle's coming around again, but it's always body first. Like if you feel like amazing the week before your period, then listen to that. Like don't listen to some outside source being like, well, your hormones are doing this. I mean, again, it's a framework. I feel like it, it's empowering information and use it how it feels appropriate, but always listen to your body first. And that's what's kind of nice about having the tool. Like I'll look at that app, you know, yeah. at least once a week and just be like, okay, where am I at? Totally. You know, where am I at? And how am I feeling? And kind of read through it. And it just, it really does keep you like kind of aware of where you are. And just kind of gives you that aha, like, oh God, no wonder, <laughs> you know, like, God, that makes so much sense. And for me, like, you know, when you ovulate, I mean, really like biologically, we're looking to procreate. You are your most attractive. You are your most outgoing. You speak really clearly. I mean, and I have started to pay attention to that. And it's like, sometimes I do look in the mirror and I'm like, damn. And I'm like, oh, sure enough, I'm ovulating. And <laughs> oh I'm my like, God. A couple of days before my period, I'm like, Ugh. and it's like, oh, of course, you know. Seriously. So, oh yeah. my gosh. So anytime anybody now like gives me a compliment on my Instagram, I'm like, you look really pretty today. I'm going to look at my MyFlow app and be like, like I'm ovulating. I'm, I'm ovulating. <laughs> so, Thank you. <laughs> I mean, what if we lived in a world where women had that much power, right? I mean, it would be... It would be really different. And that's really like our... <laughs> it's interesting that we don't talk about it as much as we... T maybe we do. Maybe I just am not looking in the right places. But I do no. feel like, you know, my friend Leanna and I, who, you know her, one of my best friends, like we talk about all the time, like I'm about to start my period. Like, yeah. she's like I'm not doing anything today. I'm going to go take a bath. And it's yes. like, we just kind of like not commiserate together, but we understand it and we talk about it more. So if you are f not in tune with that, like kind of lean into it, right? Like, totally. and talk to your friends about it because we are a very unique species. Well, and, and we do. And what you guys are doing is called tend and befriend. And it's a very specific, like womanly way of dealing with stress and hardship. And it's like my girlfriend and I have now started this women's coaching group called the Wise Women's Circle for that exact reason, because women do thrive in community and our lives are so isolated. Right. You know, I mean, and really this whole notion of like this divine feminine, which is very like listening to your intuition, being in community, commiserating with your friends, that's all very feminine. And that's not really respected or honored in our culture. And now with even lines getting more blurred all the time, it's like, it's, I think it's okay to kind of sink sometimes into that polarity of like the divine masculine, divine feminine. And like, it's okay. Yeah. And it's, there's a lovely aspect of being in community and sharing these things and getting the word out. And Part of the reason is doctors aren't even trained in this. Really? Oh my God. Even OBGYNs. And I mean, my woman doctor who I see, who's adorable and amazing, and I love her, she's studying on her own time because all these women keep coming to her with perimenopause symptoms. And she's like, I don't really know how to help them. What is going on with that? I feel like I'm hearing more and more about premenopause and like all this stuff. Because you're in your late 30s. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not experiencing much just yet. No, no, no. So it's so perimenopause is the time around menopause, okay. right? Like how many years before? And when does menopause typically happen? Like, Okay. So menopause is defined as one year without a period. It, the average age in the United States is 51. Okay. And, you know, we're living another whole lifetime after that. 
really, when you think about it, this whole second half of our life. But the lead up. The lead up. So the perimenopause time around menopause can be the 10 to 15 years before menopause. What? So if you do the math on that, your mid-30s, it's time to start, as I like to say now, like training for menopause. Like get your stress dialed. Put some muscle on your body. Like for God's sake, stop grinding cardio all the time and start lifting some heavy weights. Put muscle on your body manage your sleep, keep your hormones as long as you can. And sometimes that looks like a little extra weight. Yeah. Like sometimes that looks like five to you, 10 pounds. You did explain something to me about like, you know, there's a lot of women who will look back on pictures in their early twenties and be like, I, that's my goal is to get back yeah. there. But you kind of explained something to me that with like every, what is it like 10 years? Yeah, every decade um, you can plan to gain like five to 10 pounds up until menopause. And that doesn't mean, and I'm living example of that. I'm probably 15 to 20 pounds heavier than I was in my 20s. Interesting. I feel stronger than ever. I don't, I mean, no, anybody, if from a vanity standpoint, probably wants to be smaller, which is a whole other thing. Like, why do we need to shrink ourselves, right? But like my whole whole goal is I just want to be strong. Like, I just want more muscle and, you know, and I'm thinking decades down the line, you know, I want to be able to play with my grandkids and like travel with my husband and do things. And you see people really aging poorly. And for women, how we get through menopause really does set up our long-term health as far as brain diseases. Like women, we have so much more Alzheimer's and dementia than men. We've got more autoimmune diseases. We have all these chronic conditions. And so much of it is the brain changes that happen during perimenopause. So it's such an important time to really get on top of your health. (laughs) And it's just now being more talked about again, because they're finally because women are finally talking about it. Right. I think women suffer. I mean, here we are, you know. Here we are. And you you specifically will support women during this time. Yeah. I mean, obviously any woman or female. I mean, anybody, anybody, let's be honest. But you really are really knowledgeable around this this That's topic. one of my many certificates. Yes, <laughs> menopause. Menopause. And we'll list, by the way, just in case you're listening, going, well, how does she know all this? Or like, yeah. what is she, you know, certificate, like what certificates does she have? We'll list them out in the recap of this episode. So you guys can check it out, what, what Allie has accomplished, because she doesn't just say this, you know, you're not just speaking out of your ass. Like, no, you know what I you're mean, talking about. And I, and I love, I'm like, this is my passion. Like I actually, I would read, so before I was even a health coach, like I would read studies because I'm interested, you know, and I'm interested in how information gets disseminated. I think it's funny that people get their health news from like abcnews.com and I'm like, like TikTok. Yeah. Or TikTok or anything else. And I think it's a very loud space, the wellness space. We have to remember there's a ton of money, again, money to be made. The supplement industry is a racket. I mean, everybody is trying to sell their program or whatever else. And sure, like I, I'm coming from a place of service. Like I know that I have tools that can transform people's lives because I've seen it. I've seen it too. I've seen it. And it's like, again, it's so simple. And I don't want to discount the effort that it takes. It's not easy, but it is actually quite simple. And, you know, to hold space for somebody to like empower them with tools and watch them transform their own lives. And from like a behavior standpoint, changing their habits, changing their mindset, which of course, then you're going to make better food choices. It's this like really beautiful thing to witness. And I want people to feel empowered. We, it's a very, again, with all this noise, it's very disempowering. Yeah. People sometimes don't it's trust best to turn it off and like Absolutely. put yourself to one person that you can trust, you know? Yeah. Or just and tap into your own. Like, yeah. I'm sorry. Everybody knows that Doritos are not healthy. Everybody right. knows that soda is not healthy. Yeah. Like, every, you know, like we just, how do we know that? Because we know, like we have intuition and common sense. So Again, the the food is the easiest part. It's not hard to know. Well, and not to mention like the recipes that you've sent or like all, I mean, you know that I love to cook and not everybody does love to cook. And that becomes a really big stress for people. But like, to me, it just tastes so much better when it's simple. Like you really only need like a few ingredients, you know, but let's talk about that too, because I know that I have a lot of moms and busy women, not even moms, but just women in general who don't have the time to plan out specifically dinners. It's really hard when there's a lot going on. Like, do you have like certain, not services, but like, are you able to support people with that aspect or what suggestions do you have for them? Yeah. I mean, first things first, like take it off your list of stress, right? These are daily things. We have to prepare food for our families Mm -hmm. every night. And really it's how we perceive these things that changes our perception of them. So it's like, yes, we have to cook dinner. Does this have to be stressful? Like, no. So take the pressure off. I feel like there's so much pressure. Again, social media, Pinterest, everything. We have to make these amazing, super healthy meals every single night. That's so much pressure. Like, 
I mean, we've been doing a themed weekly meal plan in my house for years and you can get that on my website. You can get it at my handle. I mean, it's just the framework. It's like Monday soup and salad, Tuesday taco, Wednesday Italian. It's so simple. My kids have never complained. If anything, if I veer from that and it's like a Tuesday night and we're having like sausage and potatoes, they're like, um, it's taco Tuesday. You know, they're like, <laughs> kids love routine and structure. Like kids, young kids, all the way yeah, up through sometimes teenagers. I do find myself, I'm like, oh gosh, I'm making this again. But they my don't kids care. love it. They love and, it. And yeah, and it's really good. And it's easy for me to prepare. So yes. like, yeah, I think that's so a really good advice to just, yeah, put it on repeat. And you do offer like really good recipes that are very simple. I mean, Instapot recipes oh are God, great. Totally. Um, and make it family friendly. Like the reset recipes that I have like four weeks of dinner recipes, I don't want you making two separate meals. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, and we never did that in my house. Like, I mean, my son has like, when he was little, gone to bed because he didn't like what was for dinner. And I'm all, well, mm-hmm. this is what's for dinner. Yeah. And so he's like, fine, went to bed. I'm like, see you in the morning. You'll be totally. fine. So getting out of this catering to and leading by example. And I mean, and also again, just taking that pressure off and batch cook stuff. And most important tip for these busy moms doing this, teach your kids to cook. Yeah, it's Show true. your kids the way around the kitchen. I mean, kids can scramble eggs, kids can boil water for pasta. And, you know, just to get off of that, that it has to be so perfect. So the theme weekly meal plan is great. Utilize some of the meal services, you know, like people, there's, I mean, local services too. People are really jumping on this bandwagon of like making prepared meals for people. Yeah. And I see, I've seen a lot of that going on and I'm just wondering, because when I'm looking at some of these prepared meals, I do see that like, it's almost the same meal for lunch every day, the same meal for dinner every day. And then it changes each week. And I'm just curious what your take is on that. I mean, I know it's really easy, you know, for people to to eat that, but for me, I'd be like boring. Boring. (laughs) I know. And that's, I mean, that's a tough thing. And everybody's so unique with that. I mean, there are To speak to that, part of me is like, okay, food is nourishment. Let's get out of this whole thing. It's like food is entertainment and it has to be the best thing you've ever had every single time. I mean, food is just nourishment, right? So if we can just sometimes simplify that a little bit and be like, we don't always have to try the new recipe. We don't always have to have this exciting brand new meal and just simplify that. But at the same time, if having that repetition for somebody that's on like a health journey and they're getting bored with food, that's like a recipe for them to go binge or make bad choices because they're feeling really restricted. So there has to be a balance there. You know, my concern with some of the prepared ones like come in the mails, like what are the oils? What's the sugar right. content? You know, again, whole real food and whole real food is simple and quick to make. It is. I mean, you and I have talked about doing this. One day we'll yeah. do it. Like just doing like a little cooking show or something and just showing like how quick and easy it is to make whole real food. Yeah. It's not hard. It's not hard. It's not complicated. It doesn't take any longer. And we're longer. not trying to like pat ourselves in the back here, but like really, if there's anything that I've learned, like the less ingredients, the better. Oh my God, it's so true because real food tastes good, but our taste buds get dulled when we eat really, you know, A, too much dairy, to be honest. And then like super hyper palatable foods, like Doritos Extreme. You know, it's not just Doritos anymore. <laughs> it's like extreme Doritos because like those you can't even taste anymore because your taste buds are so dulled. So when you you know, do something like my reset program and you're eating whole real food, you're cutting out. And when we say whole real food, we're not just talking about like salads and that's it. No, like have a steak. I mean, have some chicken, have tacos. I mean. And I, one, one thing that I try to do too is like make a big batch of chicken at the beginning of the week and utilize that for different recipes like taco night or, you know, throwing it in a chicken salad or something like that. So like there are little things that you can do to make your life easier by oh my God, totally. kind of thinking a little bit ahead. What helps me, but this isn't for everybody, is on Sundays, I'll sit down and I'll be like, all right, what's our week look like? What are we having for dinner? And then like try to prepare whatever I can beforehand to support that or, you know, but again, I, it's typically, it starts to look the same each week. It does. Week. And that's okay. And I think, you know, just remembering that too, like, especially with sports seasons and oh, we have kids, so hard it's and so busy. hard and busy. And so do the, I mean, seasons change, right? We're all in different seasons of our life and thank God they change, but just do the best you can where you are and it's going to change. You know, it's not, you're not going to be stuck in the season forever. So just totally. do, you know, I totally live by the good, better, best, do the best you can each day. And sometimes your best just looks okay. Yeah. And you know? that's all right. And I mean, I live like that. I do my best most of the time to lead a healthy lifestyle, but I like to you know, indulge. Indulge from time well, to time. Somebody asked about the 80 20 rule. What do you think of that? You know, I think it depends on that's a, <laughs> I agree Slippery with that. Slope. I, I teach that in my program, like at the end, you know, kind of integrating all these tools, like do it 80% of the time. 
you know, that can be a little uh, objective. Like, you know, is it, what does 80% look like to you versus what it looks like to me? I tend to live probably more like Mm 90-10. And I think that would honestly be ideal more ideal. And just what are your goals? Are you living in alignment with your goals? Right. And so 80, 20 could probably work for most people. What I tell people a lot is like, don't throw out the whole day. Like if you know you're going on a date or you have a wedding that night or a party, like maybe try to eat a really nourishing breakfast and lunch and then go enjoy your night. Who cares? Totally. And then get back on track. Well, like when, when I was can. gearing up to go to Nebraska, I knew it was going yeah. to be, <laughs> my food was going to be very limited. And so the week before Mark and I were really like, let's homemade meals, salads, like prepare ourselves because I'm not going to go there and feel bad about, you no. know, eating this horrible <laughs> totally, like iceberg. chicken fried steak oh, and iceberg God. lettuce. But, you know, like then you come home and you just get back to it, you know? Yeah. And so forgiving yourself, I think, is huge when it comes to oh, health. Because, everything. As you've said before, I think the biggest thing that we need to work on, especially as women, but just as a society, is stress. Oh, so totally. you you also are certified. That's right. <laughs> a lady with all the certifications. <laughs> and I totally want more and more all the time. I know, but, but I love that about yeah. you. You're a constant student, yeah. um, a forever student. Uh, but like stress, let's talk about that. Like um, you have your certificate in breath work and how important is the breath? Okay. So the breath is everything. <laughs> and, you know, primarily as a tool to um, regulate our nervous system. And that's a you know, again, maybe in my world, I have to remember that my world is very health focused and wellness focused. So I see nervous system regulation being around a lot as a catchphrase. And I don't know if it is outside of my little corner, but, you know, stress affects every system of the body, especially again, for women, the pathways, you know, how we manufacture hormones, it starts with cholesterol, you know, oh no, big, bad cholesterol. Cholesterol is a super important substance in our bodies. Women actually need a lot of it to manufacture hormones. It starts at the top and then it can go down two different pathways. And there's another precursor hormone called pregnenolone. And if we're stressed, that pathway is going to go to cortisol, our stress hormone, all the time instead of making sex hormones like estrogen and progesterone and testosterone that we need to have a healthy cycle and to feel balanced. So we have to be really careful that we're not going down that pathway of cortisol all the time. Unfortunately, I think most of us are going down that pathway all the time. So that's called something like sympathetic dominance or fight or flight. And it affects, you know, every aspect of our lives. It's a it's big like reason. the root of all diseases. That's the root of all because it's it's inflammatory. Again, all these pathways in the body, it lights up all the inflammatory pathways. It affects our sleep. And so if we're not sleeping, we're not healing. It's just, it's everywhere. It's ubiquitous in our in our society, in our culture. And again, for women primarily. I'm sure that's most of your audience anyways. I mean, we're really wearing a thousand different hats, Yeah, you know, and we're expected to do it all while we're looking good and, you know, feeling good. Having the household all Having kept house, up. Yeah. yeah. It's so much pressure. So breath work as a tool, it actually allows us to dance between both sides of our nervous system. So the rest and digest and the fight or flight. And I used meditation as a tool forever and I still do in my reset program, but most people are like, oh, I hate meditating or I can't meditate because they expect to just sit and quiet their mind and be meditating. It doesn't work that way. So breath works so much less triggering. And then you're actively involved in, with it and you get results instantly. I mean, you feel the so difference. So you train people how to do this. I haven't done this with you yet. We've always talked about yeah. it. Yeah. So, to do it. you know, I'm trained in a, di- there's so many different methodologies. There's upregulating techniques, things like Wim Hof and conscious connected breath. There's downregulating techniques like heart coherence and breath awareness. And, you know, it's kind of whatever you need. There's a tool. Is it easy to learn? Oh my gosh. It's, yeah, it's, I mean, you're doing, you're breathing between 22 and 25,000 times a day. And so my facilitator, how I learned is more from like a physiological aspect. So not only do I like to teach people these breathwork tools to regulate their nervous system and like actually have a practice, it's so important too, to make sure that the other 20,000 times a day you're breathing outside of that like 20 minute breathwork session, that you're breathing properly right? We want to breathe through our nose. Our noses are for breathing. Our mouths are for talking and eating. So close your mouth, breathe through your nose, especially at night, if you can do that. Um, Making sure that you're using your diaphragm. There's all these structural pieces too that people need to be aware of. So it's not just like these little chunks of breath work and you're going to be great. It's like, how are you breathing all day long and having that awareness? Because you'll probably, if you do start to pay attention, like because I've ever since you've kind of talked to me about this, like I am a little bit more aware. I'm not like hyper aware, which I, you know, probably could be a little bit more paying attention to it. But you don't realize sometimes throughout the day, you're like, 
I haven't taken a breath in a little bit. No, and that's what we do. We hold our breath. And so what that does is it sends a signal to the brain that we're in danger. And so when we're breathing shallow, like just as an example, you can breathe yourself right into a panic attack. I mean, the research around this, most people who have anxiety disorders are breathing high. They're breathing up in their chest. They're breathing through their mouths. And they're breathing really rapidly. And that sends a direct signal to your brain that we have to run like a tiger is getting us. And we do this all the time. If we get cut off in traffic, if we have a stressful email, a stressful conversation, our bodies don't know the difference. Or even if we're thinking about something stressful, like our body, our brains don't know the difference between a perceived threat and a real threat. Interesting. If you're thinking of something stressful, you're going to have a stress response in your body. So do you have a tool to, let's say like all of a sudden you are aware that, I mean, I know this when I'm like about to drive over a bridge, like I, I just like my hands start to get sweaty Or, I mean, fear of heights is obviously an issue that I deal with too, but like what is a tool when you know that you're about to go into a stressful situation where you'll typically fall into a level of panic? Obviously, breath work is important. Is there anything else like, or how do you, what kind of breath do you do? So I'll just teach it really quickly because it's so easy and it's everywhere. Um, It's called the physiological sigh. And essentially you're going to breathe into the belly and then you're going to top it off at the chest and then exhale out the mouth. So it's, and then top it off. And then, oh, so you top it off through your nose. All through the nose. Okay. Always inhaling for this breathwork practice. So inhale into the belly and then top it off and then let it go. And like when you sigh, like have a sigh, like let it go. That tells your body, not only are you like bringing in enough oxygen, right? With that topping off, you're expanding your lungs all the way down to the bottom. These little alveoli are getting all the oxygen they need, which we typically do have all the oxygen we need. And then the sigh, the deep sigh of letting it go, you're not going to sigh like that if you're in danger, right? But your body, again, your brain doesn't know the difference. As soon as you see a bridge, you probably start to breathe more quickly. Your heart rate probably goes up. I'm sure your pupils dilate a little bit. You're probably breathing high up into your chest and into your shoulders. That's sending the signal to your brain, run. Right. Got to go, like danger. And you can't positive affirmation yourself out of that situation. I don't know if you've tried that. Because your your brain's too smart for that piece. It's like you can't trick your body. Your body is under is having a stress response. No, that's like when like Mark took me on a ski lift and he's like, You're just sitting on a park bench. I'm like, but I'm fucking not sitting I'm on not, a park bench. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not. I can see that I'm actually not. <laughs> I'm sitting on a park bench floating through the air. <laughs> Doesn't work that way. No. But, I mean, and tell me if I'm wrong, and I don't know if this is the approach that you would take if you were me or somebody like me that does deal with certain things that they know cause them anxiety. Like how do you feel about pushing back past your fears? You know, like I'm learning to honor my fear and not that I should constantly, you know, shy away from it. Do I love to fly? No. Right. But like, I'm going to do it and I'm going to find the tools to get me through that. But, but certain things like risk reward, I don't enjoy skiing that much. So I'm just like, why am I going to put myself through it? You know, like, should we honor those fears too? Or Um, I think it depends. I mean, our nervous system has a set point for safety, right? And in all honesty, it's set typically by the time we're seven years old. So we kind of have this capacity. So there are tools and techniques to like expand that capacity for stress and danger and fear and, you know, really create resilience. So when you get that fear and anxiety around something, let's say it's driving over a bridge, you know, you're bumping up against that and it's like a sharp razor's edge, you know, and your nervous system is like, this is dangerous. This feels scary because it's this sharp, sharp edge. So through like a breathwork practice that you are consistently doing, you're going to build resilience and you're going to soften that edge a little bit. So as you expand in leaning into that discomfort, it's not going to feel as sharp. Does that make sense? Totally. So yes, there are definitely tools. So, I mean, we don't grow unless we are pushed upon, right? Like we need that resistance to expand in every capacity, Like you have to have stress resilience in this world. So yeah, I don't think we should shrink ourselves to fit into our fears. I think it's really important to stay expansive and growing. But again, I mean, depending on your trauma, whatever it could be, I mean, do that safely. You're in charge of that. But yeah, I like you said, risk reward, some fears like, you know, I used to want to go skydiving. I don't really want to do that anymore at this point in my life. I don't, oh, and no. that's like not, no, it's like, hang on, I'm going to have a panic attack. Um, but like, I, you know, that's really not worth it to me. I will not, yeah. I'm probably not ever going to make that choice. That's not something like, oh, I'm going to overcome this fear. But if it was like limiting you and you weren't flying on airplanes anymore right. and traveling, you'd probably want to push past that fear because it's getting in the way of something Living that you life. love to do. Totally. You know, so I think pick and it's choose It's so interesting there. that I can like rationalize with myself over like pushing past that fear and being able to, I mean, 
granted, like if there's a lot of turbulence, I'm not comfortable. You no, know? nobody is, right? But I'm like trying to, you know, just like kind of close my eyes. And I, you gave me a tool one time when I was driving home from Tahoe and I was like freaking out. And you couldn't in the moment help me through it because I was already in it. But, you know, you did give me a tool that I also use when I'm going to go see Jared where it can typically be really hard to get through. And it's not stressful, but it hurts. And, and you told me to find a visualization when I close my eyes of a place that I'm most calm and most happy. Yeah. And I've been doing that. And the place that I'm always at is actually an Emerald Bay on a boat Aww. with the family. And I, and I was in that moment. Um, and I decided in that moment when I was actually doing that, this is my calm. Like I feel so at peace here. And so now whenever I'm about to go over a bridge or when I was on the plane yesterday and there was tons of turbulence, we were in a small airplane, I like closed my eyes and I brought myself to that place to kind of take me out of that stressful environment. And it really, does it take it completely away? No, but like it definitely has helped. Well, so that's a, a piece of like heart math, heart coherence. So essentially, yeah, you, I mean, when I work with clients on this in a breathwork capacity, you do that when you're in a really calm state and you do think of that and then you put yourself right back there. How did it feel? How did it smell? You know, what did you see? And you're there. And then again, because our brains don't know the difference yeah. between something you're thinking or something that's actually happening, you can basically get back there yeah, and have those feelings and emotions. I mean, there's emotional regulation with breathwork too. It's just this incredible tool to use. I'm so happy to hear that you're using that because it is. It's like amazing. It's like planting that seed of safety within your body. Yeah. Like before when I would get on Jared's table, you know, like I would start to kind of shake because my body knew what it was about to do. But it really, I mean, I will, I will say that Jared has helped me in so many ways. But but instead of going into it with this, like, this is going to suck, I lay down on the table and I take myself there and I have come leaps and bounds with just like getting through that without crying anymore or like, you know, or coming off that going, that sucked, you know, yeah. it was like, no, actually, like I really did well. And it's empowering almost. So Cause, yeah, because you're tapped that into that um, parasympathetic nervous totally. system. You're in that rest and digest. It's also called like stay and play. So you offer a program to people that you can offer, like you can like basically pay to Yeah. You know, I mean, that's like fully customized. That's just like a one on one. We could do packages with breathwork. I'm going to be. Could you do like a package of like your reset with the breathwork? Yeah. And and I use it in the. I mean, I do a lot of my reset clients because it's a six week program. Um, when they really want to like make it a lifestyle, they stay working with me. So I have like ongoing coaching packages. And oftentimes we do breathwork there as we're really kind of sinking in. And it's just so funny. It's, it's always what it comes back to. Like I, I mean, I have a client, a gentleman who did great on the reset, so stoked to like that he could learn these new habits and make changes in his body in his fifties. He was so stoked and then wanted to work with me longer. Cause he's like, you know, I realize it's the stress piece. Like that's the piece that I need to work on the most. So that's typically what it comes back around to. So yeah. And then I do it in my, the wise woman circle, the group coaching program. We do it every session. So for 10 weeks, um, not only are you getting like this beautiful community of women and learning about your hormones and tending and befriending and all this beautiful stuff and being led by my co-facilitator, Karen, with like guided visualizations and journal prompts, you know, we really do like a breathwork session every single time. And so teaching all these different breathwork techniques, because it's medicine in your own body. Right. I mean, we really do have most things within our own bodies to heal ourselves. Yeah. Especially We've our nervous system. It's oh so much. It drives me. I swear, I blame the internet. Oh, it, it you know, <laughs> and that's why it's hard. Like, it's hard for me to show up sometimes on Instagram because, I mean, I get caught in the scroll too. And I'm like, oh my God, yeah. what are these people saying? I had to really, I mean, and I think this is an important piece to mitigating stress. Like, during the pandemic, I had to really, like, get off of it and also really evaluate what was coming up in my feed and, like, who I was following. And I was like, is this bringing me joy or is this just, like, bringing me stress and fear? And it really helped when I was like, no more, you know? It's so, and it's all fear-based. And really, I mean, as human beings, as homo sapiens, what's what's helped us evolve and become the species that we are today, we have a built-in negativity bias, like that we tend towards that fight or flight and that negative, we're, we're scanning the environment typically all the time for the danger. And that's what we see more of. Like even thinking back, think of memories in your life. We can often remember like the time we were really embarrassed or that we failed or that we fucked up, whatever it is. And it's sometimes harder to remember the really, really good times or the times that we succeeded and did amazing. So it's this negativity bias and the news media knows that social media knows that. I mean, all the algorithms are set for that. So we do you have to be your own advocate there because it's just constant information. And I mean, I even get caught up in that when I'm constantly wanting to learn more. I get like this information overload. Yeah, 
Totally. And I think that that's the hardest part for most people is like, how am I going to do this? It seems so overwhelming. So that's why I really wanted to have you on here today. And I will be sure to link to all the programs that you offer for people. Thank um, you. But if you are looking for anybody that, you, if you just need somebody to support you, listen to you and suggest things that are actually really attainable and just know you're going to have somebody in your corner that you can lean on. Allie's your person. Aww, so thanks, I will list all the things here. This will not be the last episode that we have you on because we probably could go into so many more things. Oh, yeah. But, so but yeah, reach out to Allie. She's at, at Wellness with Allie on, um, and it's A-L-I on Instagram. But um, we'll leave her email and all of her stuff, you know, in the bio. So thanks for being on here. Oh, thanks for having me, Erica. Love you. Love you too. <laughs> All right, friends, that's all for today's episode of the Whiskey and Lace podcast. If you liked what you heard, please share the love and leave a review. And remember to join the Whiskey and Lace community by following me on TikTok and Instagram at Whiskey and Lace. And send me a DM to say hi and mention this episode. I'd love to meet you. See you next week.